Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Amen. Full disclosure, I saw, you know what, it's just like Satan. That's incredible. (laughs) Incredible. You know, among the many blessings of a new building is going to be to not have to fight with hornets and wasps and other creatures that ought not exist. Praise the Lord. Amen. As I was trying to say, full disclosure, I saw a meme once that I never thought I would live, but (laughs) in the meme it had a squirrel with bloodshot eyes and he was shaking and the meme said, when uh, when you drink an energy drink, and you're still you're still tired, but now your heart's racing. <laughs> That's where I'm at tonight, folks. I <laughs> drunk an energy drink to uh, beat the the weariness, and uh, it didn't work. So I I drank a little more of an energy drink, and now I'm tired and my heart's racing. So we'll see what happens tonight. Amen. Let's pray over this, and then I'll allow you to be seated as we dive right in. Jesus. We thank you for another opportunity in your house to study your word. Lord, I ask you to have your way tonight. Help me to say everything you'd have me to say, nothing more, nothing less. Help me to teach, Lord, in a way that you can anoint. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Tonight is our 25th lesson in the book of Revelation. Last week, we finished up chapter 13, and chapter 13, as I noted, is one of the most well-known chapters uh, in the entire Bible. There are people that have never darkened the door of um, a, a church that are familiar with 666 and uh, the mark of the beast and things that are in it. There are people that don't consider themselves Christian that um, are spooked by uh, things such as 666. Last week we looked at that. In chapter 13, the entire chapter, really, it's the rise uh, of, and it's the rise and reign, if you will, of the Antichrist and his false prophet. We, we looked at it and we know that he's going to deceive the world and he's going to do it through miracles, signs, and wonders. And we talked about how it is so 
important that we pray for discernment in our day and in our hour. Because there is a real and there's a counterfeit. And if we're not careful, we'll assume that every miracle sign or wonder is from God when clearly we have evidence that there's going to come a man on the scene, the Antichrist, who's going to oppose Christ, but he's also going to work miracle signs and wonders with the permission of of the Lord. He's then going, so he through miracle signs and wonders, he convinces the world, uh, deceives the world into following him. He then requires uh, everyone to pledge allegiance to him. We talked about how that was going to work. Uh, it's, it's the, the word there for mark. We talked about that. It's an engraving, um, an imprinting. Uh, it's visible. It's a visible mark. It'll be on their right hand or on their forehead. We get that from the actual language that's used there. You know, some people like to speculate. Is it going to be in the skin? Is it going to be a microchip? All of, all of that kind of stuff. I, I think we handled that pretty well last week. The language is very clear. It's going to be, uh, an embranding, um, uh, an imprinting on the skin. So it'll be on the right hand or on the forehead. And what that's going to be is two things. It's number one, it's a, it's a pledge of allegiance to the Antichrist. We discussed how you cannot take it by accident. Uh, there are people that give themselves anxiety over whether or not they're, they're taking, uh, the mark of the beast. If I get vaccinated, am I, am I taking the mark of the beast? The answer is no. And I can say that absolutely 100% with a surety. Every time, and I, I said this last week, every time someone asks me, is, is such and such the mark of the beast? I always ask them. It's the first thing I ask in response. Where's the beast? If that's his mark, where's he at? Because he's asking through his mark for allegiance. That's what you're going to do. You're going to pledge allegiance by taking his mark. It, those that take his mark will be doing that. The second thing is it will be, it will be a passport for commerce. You won't be able to, to buy, sell, or trade, do anything really without that passport of commerce. So when you look at chapter 13, it's a bleak picture. It's a hopeless, uh, picture. It's a, it's a sad kind of devastating picture of what the world is going to look like. Then we get into this week, chapter 14. And what we're getting ready to see is Christ as victor. We're getting ready to see his people that he separated unto him during the tribulation as victorious through the tribulation. Uh, before we dive in and we're getting very close to diving in, I wanted to state this because this can be sometimes confusing because people are looking for a chronological view of, of events through the book of Revelation. Well, chapter 14 is not a chronological, it doesn't fit chronologically. What it is is kind of an overview of the entire tribulation period. So what we look at in chapter 14, and you'll see as we go along, it's it's snippets, it's small pictures of what's going to happen uh, throughout the tribulation and then at the close um, of the tribulation. So that's where we're at tonight. Let's look at verse number 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name 
written in their foreheads. I love this. Uh, In chapter 13, as I just stated, we leave off. We've got people taking the mark of the beast on their right arm or, or on their forehead, pledging loyalty to the Antichrist. And in the very next chapter, and I love how through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, this was, this was set up. The very next chapter, after the Antichrist is shown to have his people in his time, he's ruling and reigning, uh, the prophet makes clear to us here, John the Apostle, that there's going to be a people set apart to the Lord who's got His name on them. So even though in that day there are going to be people, uh, and the vast, the vast, vast majority of the world are going to take His mark, there's also going to be a people that are set apart uh, unto the Lord. Notice how it's 144,000. Uh, I, there are some people that believe that this is a coincidence. Um, the, the 144,000, that this is a different 144,000 than what is mentioned in chapter seven. Uh, but how can there be that big of a coincidence? I think this is the 144,000 that the Lord promised that he would keep, uh, during the tribulation. I love there, there are small things that you've got to grab onto whenever you're reading Scripture and studying Scripture. This may seem small to some people, but to me this is a big deal. In uh, Revelation 7, it says that there's 144,000, Brother Jeff, that are kept. They're sealed. They've got the name of the Lord on them. They're going to be sealed. And then chapter 14 comes along and it shows us at the end of the tribulation and how many are there standing with the Lamb. Not 100,039, 999. It's 144,000. The Lord didn't lose one soul that He sealed. Now there are going to be souls that are lost in the tribute, lost in the sense of they're going to be martyred, they're going to be killed through the tribulation. But these that the Lord said that He was going to keep, the Bible shows us in chapter 14 that He kept them. What does that teach us about our God? We've said it before, He's a promise keeper. Even to the smallest detail, we get down here and it's 144,000. God said, I'm going to seal, I'm going to keep this 144,000. And then we see at the advanced history, we see at the end of the fight, them standing with the Lamb, all 144,000 that the Lord kept. I find that to be awesome. Uh, Another thing that this shows us, God has a people in every generation. So people wonder, how, uh, how is that going to work? Um, how are there going to be saints, uh, Christians during the tribulation? This is the answer. In every generation, God has a people. God has a remnant. And I love this. So in the middle of the most evil generation that the world's ever going to see, uh, with the, with the world's worst and most evil ruler, the, the most evil in the history of the world, God is able to call out a people and not only call them out, but he's able to protect them and he's able to keep them. And here's how this applies to us. If he can do it for them, he can do it for us. 
If God is going to have a people in the worst generation, in the most evil generation, with the most evil ruler, then there's nothing in the world right now that can keep us from living for God, from serving God, and from being saved. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen. The book of Revelation is a practical book. When you study things like this, it shows us uh, things that can encourage us along the way if we'll identify it. God's got a people in every generation. The next thing that's of uh, significance is they stand victorious with the Lamb. They're standing on Mount Zion. Now, there are several views of uh, what this Mount Zion is. Some believe that it's uh, that it's talking about heaven. I don't hold that view. I'm not going to waste time tonight going into the the various views. We'll just we'll just say that I believe that this is a literal fulfillment of the promises that God made to His people Israel in the Old Testament. You've got the 144,000 uh, that He has kept from Revelation 7 here, and they're standing on Zion uh, with the lamb with Jesus. Amen. What is this? This is the this is a picture of the beginning of the millennial reign. And we'll talk about that more whenever we get to chapter 20, but there's going to be a thousand year reign that we are going to rule and reign with Christ on the new earth and he's going to set up his kingdom and these 144,000 they're not going to see death they're going to enter into the new kingdom with him what an awesome uh thing that would be um amen so they're going to walk with him into into the new kingdom let's look at verse two and three and i heard a voice from heaven as of the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. This is excellent. Has anyone ever been to Niagara Falls? Amen. It's it's. An awesome experience. This is a picture that I took myself, and that's probably why this time it's not blurry on the screen, uh, and it looks good. Amen. When you go to Niagara Falls, it's loud. You know that you're there. The water that is pouring down, it's loud. Uh, you, you actually, you notice as you're walking slowly away from it, as the volume kind of goes down, that's how overpowering and overwhelming that noise is. And here, Scripture tells us that the voice that is going to come forth, the singing that is going to take place, uh, is the voice as of many waters, as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. It's loud. It's overwhelming. And it's a chorus of uh, angels that are singing uh, praises unto the Lord. And they sing a song that can only be understood by the 144,000. But still, think about that. Praise overwhelming, so, so loud, so overwhelming that it's, it's as if it's the roar of, in fact, I'm not sure that Niagara Falls will be able to compare to that. 
And what do I see here? What do I notice? There are some uh, that believe that our praise should be quiet and well put together and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and I believe that there can be just just as much pure praise in, in silent tears as there is in boisterous worship. But we ought to never get away from boisterous worship. We ought to never get too good to praise the Lord. There's coming a day when there's going to be praise. that John heard it as of the sound of, of many waters. Amen. It's okay to worship God and get a little loud in our worship and get a little boisterous in our worship. That's okay. Amen. That's something that we're going to see whenever we get to the other side. So, next two verses. Talking about the these 144,000. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Amen. Let's look at the characteristics of these 144,000. I think that there's something that we can learn from this. Um, the first thing that I'm sure everyone draws their attention to, it says that they are not, they are not defiled, uh, they are not defiled with women, that they are virgins. Now, I've read, uh, many different views on this. There are some that see this as symbolic, that this is, uh, symbolic for purity, and uh, all of that. And I do believe that that is an application that can be made, and we're going to actually make an application similar to that in just a little bit. But for the sake of the text, uh, and what's actually going to happen in that day, uh, I believe that this is literal. The reason I believe that this is literal is because of uh, how specific it is. Um, it says that they're not defiled with women, um, that wouldn't be symbolic. Uh, women actually exist. Amen. All the women said amen. Amen. So that's not symbolism there. That's a real thing. And it says that they are virgins. So what do we have here? What we have here is 144,000 that uh, are completely sold out and committed to the Lord. It's not only possible... But it's likely that at this point, the Antichrist is going to do away with the institution of marriage. In the sense that he's going to say that it, it's not necessary anymore. Because of the widespread fornication. We have, we have small, uh, snippets of it today. Um, it's in, it's in seedbed form with the sexual revolution that took place in the sixties, the fifties and the sixties. What happened is, is they're trying to, they're trying to let us, uh, or free, the, their language would be to free everybody, uh, from the chains of morality. Well, in this day, the Antichrist is going to accomplish that. 100%. He's going to set society free from the chains of biblical morality. And so in a world where everybody is sinning and everybody is fornicating and that is taken as normal, God is going... Now, that doesn't mean that every believer in that day is not married. That's not what this is teaching. 
It doesn't, it, it, it's not teaching that. What it's teaching is that these specific group of believers dedicated themselves to the Lord in a world where everybody is fornicating. They decided we're not, we're gonna, we're gonna go equal and opposite. We're not only going to separate ourselves, uh, from what the world is doing, but we are going to keep ourselves completely. And so they do. The next thing is they were separated unto God. So they separated from sin, but then they were also separated unto God. They followed the Lamb wherever He went. Wherever He goes, Scripture said, they followed the Lamb. Wherever Jesus led, they pursued Him diligently. This can apply to us also today. Actually, let me, st- let me go back because I, I didn't make the application for the first point. I was saying that some people use that as symbolism, even though that is literal, it can apply to us today in this sense. We can live separated from sin and unto God today. We can do it today. In fact, we're called to do it today, to separate ourselves from worldliness, from being defiled by sin. And we do that through the power of the Holy Ghost because greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. You can't do it in your own strength. Those that try to accomplish that in their own strength, they fail, they'll fail every time. But if you try to do it with His strength, you'll be able to succeed. You can do it. Amen. So that separated from sin. And then the next thing they did is they separated themselves unto God, or I'm calling it separated themselves unto God in the sense that they pursued. It says wherever the lamb went, they followed. They followed the lamb completely. They led him. Uh, they, they were, they were willing to be led by him, to be led of him wherever he went. Even if he called them unto death, they were willing. They walked with Him. They walked with Him closely. They wanted to be like Him. Can that apply to us today? Not only can it apply to us, it must apply to us today. We've got to take that uh, for ourselves, that characteristic, not just separating ourselves from sin, but separating ourselves unto God. That means pursuing Him. We've talked about it before. It's, it's not enough to just set the standard right here at is this sin or not? Is this going to keep me out of heaven? We've got to raise the bar. It's not just we're separated from sin, but we're separated unto God. Does this please Him? What can I do more that will please Him? How can I grow closer to Him? We should wake up every day with that being the intention. How, to the best of my ability, can I follow Jesus today? Amen. And Jesus said that it's possible. Jesus said that we can follow Him, but He gave us instruction. He gave us a command, actually. Everyone who will follow Him must do what? Pick up their cross. Deny themselves. Deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Him. So we have a mandate in Scripture. Not just like the 144,000. We've got to separate ourselves from sin, but then we've got to go just a little further. We've got to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him wherever He leads. I think of, or I was thinking of today as I, as I read that, 
I was thinking in, in the Old Testament, the uh, story of Moses and the children of Israel and the Lord being done with them. And finally the Lord says, well, y'all go on. I'm staying here. Move on. And you know what the Lord or, or Moses responded to the Lord? If you're not going, I'm not going. If you're not there, I don't want to be there. Why are we living at such a, such a low level of is this sin or, 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 or can I be saved if I still do this? Why not live with the, with the intention of if it's not pleasing to Him, I don't want to be around it even if it won't send me to hell. If it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't edify my soul, if it doesn't get me closer to the goal, that should be our desire every day. How can I get closer to Him? How can I grow in my walk with Him? Amen. The next thing that we see from them, they're authentic. They're authentic. It says, in their mouth was found no guile. That is, no lies. And they are without fault before the throne. Now, I, it's fascinating, right? That terminology. Because who is sitting on the throne in their world at that time? It's the father of lies. It's the deceiver of men. And the deceiver of men's hearts. Sitting on the throne. Dictating everything to everyone. Influencing everyone. And yet there's a people in that day who in their mouth is no lie, is no guile, is no deception. They're just authentic. You know, I, I've heard people uh, say, and I've even joked about it myself, that if, that if, uh, if, if post-tribulation was an actual thing, that I'm heading to the, we talked about it the other night at the Christmas banquet, I'm heading into the mountains, I'm hiding, that's where I'm going to be at. You know, these 144,000, they were just real and authentic. They didn't deny the Lord. They didn't take the mark of the beast. They were okay with other people knowing that they serve God, that they live for God. There was no liar deception in them. You know, some people even in our day, uh, some Christians, they want to stay below the radar. I want to live for God, but I don't want anybody to know about it. I want to be a Christian, but please don't ask me any questions about my faith. Don't, I don't want to talk about religion. I want to avoid the subject. Whatever I've got to do, you mind your business, I'll mind my business. But that's not the will of God. The will of God is for the world to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. How can they be saved if they don't see Christ in you? It's our job to be authentic today. Not be deceiving, not be liars. It shouldn't be a shock to the world when they find out that you're living for God. When they find out that you're a Christian, it shouldn't blow their minds. You're telling me so-and-so, you've been living for God this whole time and I didn't even know it? No, that should never be it. You ought to be living an authentic faith. No guile in your mouth. Why? Because you have God has done something so wonderful and so great in your life. You are without fault before His throne. In the same way that they are. My Bible says that, that Jesus is continually up there. He has, he has, he is the propitiation for us. He's the substitute sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself once and for all time. We talked about a few lessons ago how Satan is constantly, uh, up there, uh, uh, talking bad about us, brother Jeff. Downing us before the Lord. He's the accuser of the brethren. But we have Jesus, 
the blood of Jesus arguing our case so that we can stand faultless before the throne. Because that's the case, the least we can do is live an authentic life for him today. Amen. That's characteristics of the 144,000 that, that can apply to us today. We can separate ourselves from sin. We can separate ourselves unto God. And we can be authentic. We can be real. Amen. Next verse. 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So here we have an angel that John sees that is preaching what he calls... The everlasting gospel. What is the everlasting gospel? The first thing, and it should be obvious from what he called it, it's eternal. Been there from the beginning. The next thing is in every dispensation, we're talking about the gospel because this can be confusing to people. There's an angel that's going to preach an everlasting gospel during the tribulation or really at the end of, right at the end when everything's about to come to a close. So we're going to talk about it in a minute. It's important that we remember in every dispensation, God provides a means of salvation. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was required along with genuine repentance and forgiveness was granted. It was granted, and then Jesus came along, and when Jesus uh, sacrificed himself and shed his blood, it covered every sin from Adam until uh, the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. So that was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we know Jesus paid the price, but we have to obey John 3, 5, Acts 2, 38. It said, you must be born again of water and of spirit or you can't even see the kingdom of God. It says that Peter said that we've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The, if, if you haven't picked up on it yet, because many people, they, they wonder how can, how can the plan of salvation basically change uh, throughout times and with different generations. There's a thread that runs from the beginning all the way, and it's going to finish when Jesus comes uh with his second coming that thread that common thread through all of it is faith and obedience faith and obedience in the old testament they had to have faith and then they had to obey god god required sacrifice he required them to sacrifice a spotless lamb and that uh and have genuine repentance and that was going to bring about forgiveness of sin in the New Testament, in the day that we're living in now, you, you can call this a dispensation of grace, whatever term you'd like to put on it. Obedience to the Lord looks like being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with His Spirit. Amen. That's the common thread. It's faith and it's obedience. I said that to say, when it says that the angel is, is preaching the everlasting gospel, what he means by that is that good news of, of salvation has stretched from the beginning 
until the end. God always providing a way of salvation, always reaching out his hand and offering a way, showing us a way that we can be saved. I don't know, I don't know, um, I've said this before, I don't know because some people, and, and you know what, I've, I've wrestled with this as well. I don't know if it's in, in this dispensation, if the new birth is going to be required uh, in the tribulation period, or if God is going to require a different form of obedience. I don't know. I think that it's very possible that they'll still be required to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. But here's what I do know. Faith and obedience is going to be a requirement And there's going to be people that are saved. Revelation 7 said there's going to be 144,000 at least. And and according to the back end of Revelation 7, there's going to be a lot more than just the 144,000 that are uh, saved. The next thing that we look at is it says that it's for, it's, it's whosoever will. You look at it, it's every nation every kindred, every tongue, every people. And I know that we all believe this and understand this, but I'm going to say it anyway because that's what the Scripture teaches us tonight. Skin color has never mattered when it comes to salvation. It hasn't mattered from the beginning. It doesn't matter now. Citizenship has never mattered, not from the beginning, not until now. The language that a person speaks has never mattered, not from the beginning, not until now. It might come as a shock, it won't come as a shock to anybody here, but it might come as a shock to some people. But heaven is not going to be segregated. It's not going to be these people worshiping Jesus over here and those worshiping Jesus over there. If that makes you uncomfortable, heaven may not be your destination. And that's okay. What you need to do is you've got to find an altar and repent. It's not too late. Mercy is still being outstretched. I'm just telling you what the word of the Lord shows me. And that is, it's for whosoever will. Doesn't matter how much money they've got, what skin color they are. None of that matters. All that matters, faith and obedience to the word of the Lord. Amen. The next thing that we notice is there's going to be a final call. Let's look at verse, let me read verse 7 again. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. You'll understand in just a minute what I mean by there's going to be a final call. This right here. And I've I've talked to people, and there may be some in here that was fascinated to learn that there's going to be people that are saved through the tribulation. But one thing you've got to keep in mind, because some people joke about, you know, they'll take their chances with the tribulation, right? You know, they may not make it now. They don't want to live a certain way in order to be with the bride when the bride goes, but they'll make it through the tribulation. Here's what you've got to keep in mind. There is going to be a final call. The angel here, he's preaching the everlasting gospel. He's giving a final call to everyone on earth. Worship God. Fear the Lord. Obey the Lord. The hand of the Lord outstretched for one final time with mercy. Let's look at verses 8-11. through You'll understand what I'm saying. And there followed another angel. After that final call. Saying, Babylon is fallen is fallen, that great city, 
because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And this 11th verse has really been, uh, I've been wrestling with it all day. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. This is an extremely, extremely unpopular teaching. But it's important that it be taught. There is a place called hell. That's the first thing we need to know. Hell is real. It's a real place. It does exist. There is real fire there. There is real torment there. It's not just a myth. It's not just a fairy tale that parents tell their children to get them to act right. It's a very, very real place. Rob Bell, a few years ago, you may have heard of his book, Love Wins. And what, love, uh, what he taught in that book was that there is no hell. We literally have Scripture tonight. That's one of the worst lies that you can ever tell anybody is that there is no hell. Yes, there is a hell. There's a very real place with real fire, with real torment, with real people that's there. The next thing, and it's just as devastating as as realizing that it is real. It's forever. It's forever. You look at verse 11. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. What is that teaching? Literally, this is what it is. The fire that is consuming their coat never dies. It's constant. There are some that teach that it'll burn for a little while and then you're just completely gone. You end up in nothingness. That's a lie. The Scripture says that that torment is going to last forever. That it'll never be quenched. That it'll never stop tormenting. The torment happens forever. It says that there is no rest day and night. Day and night. Now I know that this is... This has gotten a little bit serious. But that's okay. It's important. It's here for a reason. We don't want to end up in this place. There is going to be a final call. There's going to come a time when that hand of mercy that is outstretched to the world is going to be withdrawn. And everyone who has not bowed their knee to Jesus... Everyone who does not live their life in submission. Now, I am not trying to to 
cause you to be afraid and, and, and that be the motivation for you living for God. I just want to warn you about the consequences of sin. You ought to love Jesus because he's good. Because he's a good God. You ought to love Jesus because he didn't, he wasn't satisfied with your choice to go to hell. So he came himself and he died on a cross to get rid of the sin that corrupts us and binds us and that's going to sin. It's not God that puts us in hell, it's our choices. What did Jesus come and die on the cross? When you look at the cross, what should you see? You should see a picture of God saying, you don't have to die in your sin. You have an option. So when you think of hell, don't think of a God throwing people in hell. That's not what's happening. It's people that are walking there of their own volition. It's people that are on their way to hell. One preacher preached it so powerfully, on your way to hell, stop by Calvary. You've got you've to get by the cross in order to make your way to hell. But that being said, it's real. And it ought to stir something inside of us. No, it shouldn't torment us day and night. It shouldn't give us anxiety because hopefully we're living every day for the Lord. But you know what it ought to do? It ought to drive us to our knees for our lost loved ones and our lost friends. When you're sitting in a crowd of people, just know that if they've not been saved, if they were to die tomorrow, that's their future. It's, it's not, it, this isn't just, this isn't just they're missing heaven. This isn't just a place where they, where they sit kind of bored. I've heard someone teach that before. What is, what is hell? Hell is just a place where, where you get all of your desire, basically loneliness for all of your life. It's a lie. In hell, there's real fire. People are tormented day and night. It's not just darkness and it's not just you sitting there alone with your thoughts and, and, and I've heard people teach that what hell really is, is it's life without the Spirit of God. It's more than that. Amen. And we, I, I want to give us a real doctrine of hell tonight. That's the truth about hell. It's real and it's forever. And once that happens, don't play games with your soul. Don't, don't treat, don't treat living for God like if I don't make it now, maybe I'll make it, maybe I can make it through the tribulation. That's when I'll really buy in. Don't play games. There's a real hell. And it's forever. Satan's playing for keeps. That place was created for him and for his demons. But what is he trying to do? He's trying to pull as many as he can with him to that place. To walk there with him. And he's going to succeed for many. But hopefully not for any of us. Because we're going to sell out today. We're going to give everything for him. Let's look at the next few Verses here and then I'm finished. 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. I want to end on, I, I, I don't want to leave you with the heavy spirit. Hell is real, but hell is not reserved for believers. Hell is not reserved for everyone. You do not have to spend eternity there. According to this, we can choose 
to live for God. We can choose to keep the commandments of God. We can choose to have faith in Jesus. And we can make it. If you want to stand and the music wants to come tonight, I'm coming to a close on tonight's Bible study. There's hope. What does this say? Now listen. Just as anyone else, losing a loved one is a terrible thing. Losing a loved one is an awful thing. But if they're living for God, the Bible says, blessed are the dead which die in that in the Lord from henceforth. They're going to find rest. They're going to find rest. That's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me. So, Jesus may come back tomorrow. Jesus may not come for a hundred years. I could die in the Lord. By the grace of God, I'll be in the Lord. But if I die, it's going to be a blessing. Got to have a right view of death. Now, this only applies to people that are living for God. But if you're living for God, blessed. Blessed are they. We have hope. I say that to say, hell should torment those that are not living for God. But it shouldn't bother someone that's saved. Because our hope is in the Lord. We are encouraged that we are a blessed people. That we're going to find rest. And then there's that subtle and their works do follow them. Amen. I want to give everything to Jesus. I want to live faithfully for Him on this earth. I wonder tonight if we could find a place to pray. Maybe tonight would be a good night to pray for a lost loved one. When I was talking about hell, was it your future that came to mind or do you have a lost loved one or a lost friend who you were thinking about? Tonight when you pray, if it's you that you're worried, you need to go ahead and find assurance tonight. You need to pray through. If you were thinking in your mind of a lost loved one or a lost friend, You can't twist their arm. You can't make them live for God, but you can pray. Tonight would be a good night. I wonder if here in closing, we can take the next few minutes and let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves if that's required. Or let's pray for lost loved ones, lost family members. Can we do that tonight? These altars are open. You can pray up here. You can pray in your pew, wherever you'd like.